Hello and welcome back to the Human Nutrition and Lifestyle Podcast. Today's podcast is the one I've been wanting to do ever since I started this podcast journey. It is the basic fundamentals of everything I've been talking about. This is where you build your foundations from and then you can go into extra things which we've recently visited like the microbiome with Mary and we'll visit in the future organ meats and insulin and fasting and look more in depth into those particular parts of the human nutrition and lifestyle. But this one today is the absolute one for the basic foundations you need to set yourself, the one that you must listen to to get the basics correct. So I hope you enjoy this one as much as I did, can you tell? <laughs> right, without further ado, here he is, Dr. Gary Schliffer. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Human Nutrition and Lifestyle Podcast. Today, I'm very excited to introduce an actual real doctor onto the podcast with us. We've got Dr. Gary Schliffer here with us today. So, Gary, if you want to introduce yourself, tell us where you're from and what you kind of do. Yeah, thanks, Matthew. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Dr. Gary Schliffer. I'm an internal medicine doctor by training. Um, the last maybe four years since finishing my training, I've been focusing my sort of career on nutrition and metabolism and trying to help people learn how to eat. Um, I have a private practice in Los Angeles called Evolve Healthcare. You guys could look that up if you want to learn more about what I'm up to there. And I work with um, Brian Sanders, Brian Sanders of Food Lies. Um, we work together to develop something called the Sapien Diet and Lifestyle, which is um, a low carbohydrate, whole foods based diet uh, that also focuses on intermittent fasting. And um, we're working on the, the documentary that many people probably have already heard about called Food Lies. Um, we've got um, our own podcast. We're trying to create, you know, novel ideas for content to try to teach people because it's it's a long battle to try to get people to hear us on this low carb thing. Um, yeah, and and I'm really passionate about trying to spread the word, uh, trying to get myself out there, um, doing everything I can, really. So I guess uh, when you first started as training to be a doctor and things like that, then you wasn't of the thoughts that perhaps you are now of the low carb things of you, you perhaps trained traditionally as a, as a doctor was trained. So tell us a bit about maybe any kind of nutrition training that you had becoming a doctor and, and um, how it is now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we don't get any train. I mean, at least in America, uh, maybe less than four hours of nutrition training, and that's all going to be, you know, your standard American diet stuff balanced diet that includes whole grains you know they used to tell me canola oil was high in omega-3s and to recommend to use that which is hilarious um you know they talked about fiber when i went through residency uh, i did an internal medicine residency it was essentially no nutrition training it was all focused on drug management uh, i am an internist after all but i mean i don't think any any fellowship or or residency trainings that I am familiar with actually taught anything about low carb. Um, interestingly, when I was when I was getting on this journey and sort of learning and going through books and podcasts and, and kind of teaching myself, 
I had a colleague who went on to do a metabolism and obesity fellowship here in America in Boston. And we and her got in a huge fight because I, I, I brought up some of the ideas that I had been learning. And she said that she's this obesity specialist and I should shut up. And, and that's the, what the training is like. You know, she went into a whole fellowship where they continued to, to promote the same archaic ideas that we're sort of battling against. Ideas that cholesterol is bad and, and carbs are a, an essential part of your daily diet. You know, that whole grains are super good for you. That, you know, these seed oil, you know, vegetable oil products are acceptable. Um, and, and, you know, I've, I've continued on and I've become more and more vocal about it. I've, I've gained a lot of friends and I've lost some friends as a result. Uh, one of my best friends actually um, is finishing up a GI fellowship. So for some people that don't know, uh, that's gastroenterology. So he's becoming a specialist to deal with the gut. You know, he's done rotations in inflammatory bowel disease. Uh, and and why I bring it up is he has gotten in three years of very intense training, zero hours of nutrition training, zero hours of uh, gut microbiome training. Think about that, right? So, which is less risque, I guess, to talk about than low carb or, or fasting or something like that. So I think that in the world of Western medicine anyway, um, there is no nutrition training, nothing meaningful, just promotion of the same ideas that are anchored in not science, uh, or at least really weak science. And um, yeah, I've had to teach everything my, to myself. It's why I had to generate the Sapien Diet and Lifestyle Program, because there really is no gold standard for a low carb diet. As you know, I learned about from obesity doctors, and there are uh, that are Western medicine trained that practice a low carb diet. So let's also put that out there. There are plenty of doctors just relative to how many doctors are not doing it. It's a very small percentage. And what I learned from them is that's what, this is what their line is. Low carbohydrate, whole foods based diet, which is very all inclusive and nonspecific. That could be a carnivore diet, right? That could be a pescatarian diet. That could be so many diets um, that, I mean, it really could be a vegetarian or vegan. So it, it really goes all over the place. And I've had to kind of create my own, foothold, you know, my own sort of platform. And we're really, really proud of it. You know, we've built a, a like a learning program uh, for, for folks that are interested with videos and a guide. And, you know, we're not the only ones doing it, but I think we need a lot of this. We need a lot of support to get these ideas out there. We need guys like you uh, podcasting and, and sharing the message. It's, it's a, it's a long journey. Um, and, and when you look at, you know, new evidence coming out to support what we're talking about, um, it's largely dismissed or minimized and certainly not promoted in general media. So this is where it lives. It lives in the podcast world. It lives in these small communities and that's fine. And we're just going to keep pushing and, and hopefully the, the world will listen because people are sick. People are, are, are miserable. They don't even know it. And, and I think that's why so many of us are so passionate about spreading the message. So what actually managed to turn your head then from being a traditionally trained doctor into starting to think perhaps there's a different way to maybe look at my patients who are coming in all the time. Perhaps I can offer them something different. What was it that actually got you on the road to thinking we should touch maybe on nutrition? Yeah, great question. Um, 
it was a it was a number of factors and then it all came to a head so I'll, I'll tell the story briefly um you know i go through training and i'm this guy that's super frustrated you know you, you would think i went to a really good program in indiana and saw had amazing attendings and great education and and yet i was frustrated i was really upset because i didn't feel like they were teaching me how to heal people they were not teaching me how to be nurturing or or loving or protective and pr actually teach preventative medicine. It was all sick care. It really was. And people say that all oh, sick care, sick care starts becoming like a thing that people say, but it's really true. Like it really is true. That's all I learned. And when I pushed for, you know, when I pushed for learning about other things, it, it wasn't there. And I was, there was, I was told to just kind of like do, do what you're here to do. Um, so fine. So I come out of tra training pretty frustrated. I go through my own personal journey because I want to be super healthy, right? And I work out all the time. I worked out to keep my head on straight throughout residency and, and medical school. I ran a ton. And uh, an observation I made was when I stopped working out as hard as I was working, um, I would start to gain like a little belly fat or, or I wouldn't feel so good. And And that was just sort of sitting in the back of my mind like, is the human body really supposed to like train two hours a day to maintain fitness? Isn't, aren't we built to survive and thrive and all these things? So something wasn't fitting. Right. And I was at that time, I'm just eating a standard American diet. I'm not really thinking about nutrition the way I think about it now. Um, but I'm frustrated and the frustration for me leads to exploration, right? Like I try to be open-minded. I'm open-minded about medicine. I'm a big proponent of like hallucinogenic or, or psychedelics, assisted psychotherapy, for example. So I'm always thinking outside the box. And um, I go on a trip. Uh, this was like three years ago with, uh, with this guy, Yaniv, my best friend and Brian Sanders of Food Lies. And they're my two buddies, and we're literally go snowboarding. Like, not has doesn't have anything to do with anything. Um, and me and Yaniv are always talking about how to be fit. And Brian's on his journey of starting a Peak Human podcast and and developing his Food Lies idea. I think it was just kind of coming together in his head that oh man, I need to, I need to talk about this. And and I respect Brian. He's an engineer. He's a really smart guy. And we got into an argument basically about food. And I'm over here, like, I just finished training. I'm an attending physician. I know what I'm talking about. And here's my buddy who's just like, no, you're, you don't. And he would challenge me on a lot of things that I really considered to be true. And, you know, I'd open my phone and Google something. And I'm like, uh oh, you know, there's something to this. Um, and it was really like a fun conversation. And he shared some ideas with us. And, and it really sparked my interest and Yaniv's interest. And that was it, man. That was like the moment where I just started reading. Um, soon after that, I picked up uh, the big fat surprise, a big fat surprise by Nina Teicholz. Um, I read it front to back. I went back and read certain chapters over and over. I took notes. Um, you know, uh, the magic pill by Pete Evans. I must have watched that the next day. B blew my mind because I had never heard of anything like this. And and. And the thing that blew my mind uh, is that I went through so much training and I only heard about ketosis maybe a handful of times in the setting of, you know, like we, we've all heard it helps with children, you know, and um, seizures, that sort of thing, right? So, that, you know, it's just very, very niche. I never thought of it as a real strategy to help people. Um, and that was it. And, and 
within a couple of years, we had developed Sapien. And that was the three of us. Uh, uh, Yaniva is a producer. He's got a production company out here in Los Angeles. Brian, you know, is this just really a, a free thinker is how I think about him and, and a guy who's not afraid to, to take a position. And, and I'm the physician. And, and it was just like, it just came together. And we're like, we got to do this. We're passionate about it. It changed all of our lives. Like we all found our best health. We all stopped struggling with our energy and, and just with, you know, so many things that everyone's struggling with because they're eating crappy food all the time. And that was it. And, and, you know, we never thought that we'd have a program and we'd have so much interest and every, it seems like every week there's something else coming up and the, the movie, we're not messing around. We're going to make an awesome movie. Brian is working on it every day. It's not going to be a talking heads kind of mediocre. No, this is going to be a great movie, everyone. And it's taking a long time and because it's going to be great and we are not taking like extra funding, we're raising the money, you know, and we're, we're putting in our own sweat equity. So it's a cool story. I'm really proud of it. And it's like my best buds, you know, I, I you know, and it, it was came back together so organically. I would have, I could have, I could have never set an intention for this. Like it just happened. It's changed my practice. I mean, I, I've integrated these ideas into all of my recommendations. You know, at first, when I started my clinic, I would do basic primary care. You know, I'm an internist. I would recommend what I recommend. Um, but I always questioned recommendations. So that for, even before this, I was like questioning, do I give a recommendation based on what this organization, you know, the American Heart Association or ACP or whatever it is like, or do I give a custom recommendation, what I think is appropriate for the patient in front of me. And that's evolved into me making my own recommendations. And now I, I guess you can call what I practice integrative medicine. You can call it um, maybe lifestyle medicine, because I really do push against pharmaceutical uh, prescriptions. And I really focus on lifestyle and supplementation and nutrition. Um, but I still do the Western medicine thing. There's a huge role for it. I'm not a person that's like anti-Western medicine. I just think that if you're going to be smart, if you're going to be thoughtful, if you're going to really treat medicine as the art that it is and, and stop, you know, trying to mechanize it, you're going to use as many modalities as possible, as many modalities as you can grasp your head around. And, and so that's what I'm trying to do. I'm constantly learning, you know, and um, I've developed, I think, some pretty unique recommendations and, and it's, it's driven by, you know, gurus in this low carb, healthy living space. It's driven by books. It's driven by, uh, you know, influencers even. And, and I'm proud of that. You know, everything does not have to be supported by a double blind randomized placebo control study. That is not, that is not the end all be all like so many people. And, and that concept is leveraged by drug companies and, and organizations to minimize any dissenting opinion. So I proudly say that a lot of my recommendations come from my own analysis and it is evidence-based. There's plenty of evidence that goes both ways. Um, but you have to be a thoughtful person and make your own decisions, I think, and not just do what you're told. Great. Yeah, that, that's absolutely brilliant. I mean, like you say, there's none of us, nobody in the spectrum is, is saying um, Western medicine is rubbish. Western medicine's there for a reason and it's made great in its jumps throughout the years. And with the technology, it's, it's come on leaps and bounds. It's a brilliant thing. But 
we need to sort of work it in with nutrition rather than saying it's or this or that it's either or nutrition or medicine it doesn't have to be like that does it it can come together it can be both and like you say the information is out there you know there's plenty of podcasts out there's plenty of, of videos out and there's books and there's studies and all sorts of things out there now about a lower carb diet a lower carb nutrition to help you through that so how have you been kind of received by your peers by people perhaps you used to work with and and now they've found out that you're doing this what do they think to all of it <laughs> it's a mixed bag um I, so so when i started talking about this stuff um i was discovering it in real time and i was working in the hospital and um I left the hospital maybe three years ago as, as my business and, and all the sapien stuff really got exciting and, and, and took over my life really. Um, but as I'm talking about it in the hospital, um, I got a mixed reaction. I would, most doctors, especially doctors that had been practicing for something like, you know, 15, 20, 30 years thought I was crazy, but it was more than thought I was crazy. They just weren't hearing it. Right. The idea that they'd been missing some, a big time concept like nutrition and they were wrong on that and that here's this young guy that it speaks loudly and is boisterous just talking it up in the middle of the hospital being like what the heck are you doing Put, feeding these people insurers and all this nonsense right um they didn't like it so much then I, I did notice that folks that were uh, closer to my age, closer out of, and I do think it's not just an ageism thing. It's, it's how far out of training are you? People that were just out of training were more open-minded to these new ideas. People that were sort of in the middle of their careers um, weren't trying to hear it and they weren't trying to change their practice. And then interestingly, like older, older docs that had been practicing for a while that had seen lots and lots and lots of patients, they seem to sort of already know, by the way, like they knew about it. They had started, they got to a point in their lives where they were also exploring, you know, and I think that happens once you practice for a while, got your, your financial and family situation more stable. It's very hard, you know, to go through this whole training and then make money. It's a nightmare for many doctors and, and people should know that it's very, very, it's not this glorious thing that it used to be. And I don't know that it ever was, but what I've seen is people work really, really hard and struggle to be a doctor, especially in America. Um, so, so there was this kind of weird, like, pull, you know, two pronged people that support me. Um, I, I slowly sort of found specialists like cardiologists and GI doctors, uh, nephrologists that understood what I was talking about because what, what, I, what really started happening was as I was teaching people how to do this and I was pulling drugs away and I was reversing A1Cs with less meds, uh, the patients would go to their respective specialist and the specialist could not, could not ignore the fact that the numbers look fantastic and the patient looks fantastic. But when the patient told them that, hey, uh, Dr. Schlipper's got me eating essentially no carbs and lots of meat and I'm not eating all the time. I'm, I'm sometimes I only eat once a day, you know, it scared doctors. And so I had a few patients that would come to me and say, you know, cardiologist said my, my numbers look good, but I need to find a new primary care doctor. And, and we'd laugh and, and I'd prime my patients for that, that, Hey, this is, you know, dissenting opinion and it's going to trigger some people, frankly, it's like trigger people. Right. So 
you know, I had to build a team of people that are, even if not like-minded, at least open-minded and not poo-pooing what I'm doing, especially when it obviously is benefiting my patients. Um, and then more recently, as I've started doing podcasts and, and become a little more social media present, um, it's been nothing but love. You know, I, I think that, you know, there's a carnivore community that's growing. I think the carnivore community is even wisening up to the idea that, that a real diet is more carnivore-ish, not kind of strict carnivore. And that carnivore is probably more of like a, an elimination diet or a healing modality, like a tool you can use transiently or intermittently in the setting of a meat-based diet. And, and that's where I've landed. You know, I think sapien is really a meat-based diet, uh, which ends up being low carb, right? If you're eating a lot of animal products, you're essentially eating low carb. It's, it's you know, so whatever word you want to use. Um, and, and the idea of fasting, um, I think, has become, just in the last few years, as I've been talking about it, and this community has been growing, has become embraced by the general public. I really do think that of, of all the things we talk about, it's intermittent fasting, which is, by the way, a misnomer, which we can talk about, but it's this, I, you know, I think it's being embraced because people come to me and they've heard about it. IF. They've tried it and failed because they had poor guidance. Um, so, so, so I teach them and they're successful. And, and I've said it before, the most powerful intervention that I've ever taught one of my patients is intermittent fasting. Because you can get away with a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of wiggle room in your diet, for lack of a better word, that you can really get away with stuff if you're effectively fasting once you're metabolically flexible and you're fat adapted. So if your metabolism isn't damaged and, and you're not really like fighting an illness or, or you're not doing this change because you're already sick, you can kind of jump into just fasting, adding a 16-8, maybe adding some OMAD days or some other fasting strategies without changing that much and, and really find a lot of benefit. And, and I've seen that in my clinic a lot. Um, you know, while I bring that up, a recent study just came out where, um, you know, they did, uh, they, they added fasting to a group of patients, but they didn't change their diet and they didn't, it didn't show any benefit. And, I, and you know, I, uh, yeah, I know, I know yeah, the a lot one. of people yeah, talk about, yeah. Yeah. yeah, look, if you're eating crappy food, fasting is not going to objectively help you. Um, so, so again, those people that I'm talking about are not metabolically damaged because they're not really eating a crappy diet. What I'm talking about is you can have some grains from time to time, especially if they're on the cleaner sides. Um, you, you can have carbs in your diet, especially if they're cleaner, things like potatoes, organic potatoes, organic rice. You, you don't necessarily have to restrict carbs if the food quality is high. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, we've, we spoke about that before on here about about you also saying earlier on about the cab, the um, carnivores, and I've said I'll never jump into a camp like carnivore or keto or anything like that because everybody's different, and you can add in those things if the if they're whole foods, real foods. You know, I've, I've also said um, like if you sort out ninety percent of your nutrition, make sure ninety to ninety five percent of your nutrition is based around the nutrients dense foods then that those other things like if you want to incorporate them into your diet just do it gradually slowly see how they come in 
I mean, when I spoke to, to Brian, we talked about uh, bioavailability and, and the anti-nutrients and things like that in vegetables. Um, but that's not, doesn't matter in that sort of five to 10% of your diet. It only matters if that takes up a lot more of your nutrition. Do, do you agree with that? A hundred percent. And, and again, you can leverage fasting to sort of be more resilient to those anti-nutrients. Um, I think that, you know, one of, I think that fasting is this acute stress on your body that actually makes you stronger. And I, it's a fun way to think about it because like, how is fasting good for you? You can talk about hormone balance, right? You can talk about the fact that it causes some calorie restriction just because you're fasting and you can't possibly eat that much. Um, but, but what I really think it does is it creates an acute stress. And, and we know that when you have an acute stress, your body goes through a process of hormesis, your, your brain becomes stronger for it because you're, you're pushing through something that's uncomfortable. And I think that that in and of itself makes you more resilient and ultimately more able to tolerate anti-nutrients, inflammation, or anything negative that comes your way. And I think that's why so many people find so much benefit from fasting and uh, fasting induces this ketosis process, which when combined with a low carb diet, you could be in ketosis a lot. And again, we're not keto. We're not fixated on keto strips. I really don't recommend doing all that. Some people love it. I don't think that's a great strategy for most people. I don't think it's important to be obsessed with ketosis. The idea is that you should know about it and you should build a diet and a lifestyle that's frequently inducing ketosis but simultaneously i think if you're in it indefinitely you're gonna it becomes a chronic stress so that's why it's so it's such a fun way to think about it as a stress because we think about stress in just a negative way and i i talk about this a lot with my patients that what makes us sick and what makes what you know the pandemic is doing what what all of this stuff is doing is a chronic stress. It suppresses, it crushes, it decreases your hormone function. It decreases your metabolism. It decreases your happiness. And when you add acute stresses strategically, you build your body's resilience and ability to really crush it and thrive. And, and really you're hacking our lifestyle and replicating a lot of what's going on, uh, with our ancestors. They were under acute stresses all the time. And, and I think that we evolved to be under acute stresses and, and this idea that you, you, you go to work forever, then you like sit in your car, then you come home and sit on the couch to like get over it. it it's killing people. And, and instead of teaching people, you know, simple free strategies to make themselves healthier. Do, do you want me to run through my acute stressors that I teach all my folks? Yeah, why not? I, lo I love it. It's just it's it's like one of my I love it. I love teaching this to people. I love talking about it because it makes all the difference and it's free. Right. OK, so we mentioned um, fasting. Right. And that doesn't have to be extended fast. It can be. But I'm even just 16, eight uh, creates a really nice sort of metabolic situation for you. Um, hit everyone knows about exercise, but I always want to emphasize it's high intensity interval training. That's going to help you build muscle. That's going to help you build your cardiovascular system. If you're running all the time, it's good to mix up some sprints or some 
you know, kind of interval training. Um, and so we can talk about that, but high intensity interval training, this acute stress, and then the more fun ones, deep breathing or controlled hyperventilation. I love Wim Hof. If, if for listeners and have never heard the Wim Hof method, um, he just released a book. He's a sort of healing guru. He's been around a long time known as the Iceman. There's other breathing technique people. Um, it's just the most common, but I just want to introduce that idea. Like, Hey, how do you want to feel better? You don't have to even exercise. All you have to do is some deep breathing. It's free. There's YouTube videos, there's books, and it will change your freaking life. It's that simple. Um, and then um, I always bring up cold therapy and heat therapy. So if you have access to a sauna, using it strategically is very powerful. But we all, for the most part, have access to cold water. <laughs> and 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 while while it sounds scary to take a cold shower or jump into a cold bath, um, you don't have to do it all the time. And the benefits are overwhelming. And it you know um, it releases proteins that are really anti aging and helpful and healing. Um, it, it wake awakens your, uh, nervous system. Um, it's just, all of those are free, not eating. So fasting, exercising, um, breathing, going in the cold and going in the heat, like, and, and I never heard about that in school. It's never been something discussed for preventative care. Um, it's sad, but I'm excited to share it with people because it, it works. Yeah, that's great. Um, the I think I touched on it before when I was saying about hormetic stresses on on our on our podcast. Um, the same sort of thing, um, having cold showers and, and things like that. And, and to bring it back to fasting, if you um, can introduce both of those together. So if you if you was fasting and looking towards edging towards autophagy, which is the cell regeneration and the cell repair that you talked about, make, making sure you can build a stronger body from the inside. Um, basically renewing your body, your body cells, anybody that, that has fasted for a, um, a moderate or to long time, something like three to five days. I know myself after fasting for five days and then going into exercise after that, you just feel like a new person. You feel like your body has regenerated and that's just what it's done. But also if you were to add in those hormetic stresses while you are fasting or, or while you're in um, ketosis, then that can push you into autophagy even further or quicker and make cell regeneration, cell repair even much more present. Absolutely. And, and what you're describing um, is, is exciting and I love it. I, I try to simplify it because I think to ask someone or to even bring up the idea, I think, you know, we're speaking to a population of people that are listening because they like this stuff and want to dive deeper. And yes, extended fasts are, are, I love it. I do it all the time. And when you strategically sort of couple different acute stressors, uh, like fasting with exercise, like doing your workout at the end of your fast to really push your body's hormone system, we know that it releases a lot of natural hormones and, and drives testosterone and human growth hormone production. So very, very smart. I, I, my strategy is to try to get more and more people on board with what we're doing. So that's why I tend to focus on something as simple as the 16, eight method, because most people, you know, like people that are listening are doing that already. I know it. And, and we're going to push them to do some extended fasts. But what I want people to think about is when you talk about this stuff with your family, with your friends, people that are like very resistant and they don't know 
you know, they don't buy into the idea that fasting is great for you, right? Because there's so much fear mongering about it. I think when you introduce something as simple as a 16-8 method with a, with a workout at the end, right? Or 16-8 method with deep breathing throughout, right? It's easy, you know? When you talk about doing a cold shower every day, people get scared, you know? Like, I, I want people to go there. I wish we can really push that in, and we will. We, Matthew, we will continue where we will get there. But I, I'm really trying to get people to take baby steps. And and so if you can take anything away from what I'm saying, it's it's what you say to your loved ones. It's what you say to your friends that are really resistant to any of this. It's the low-hanging fruit, the easy stuff that feels good right away. And and so, I you know, when we talk about hormesis and, and all these things, uh, it can go over some people's heads, right? So we're in it. We love it. I want to know why, but if you just help talk to people about really simple concepts, like chronic stress is ruining your life. And instead of using rest, which doesn't work because we've all gone on a vacation for a week and come back. And after one day of work, you're like losing your mind again, because it doesn't build your resilience, you know, use uh, hack your body, use biohacking as a word that people seem to like that, right. Um, to build your resilience and, Anyway, I think that's a fun way to think about it. But for but for people listening, um, you know, the more the more you can use these acute stressors to replicate our hunter gatherer experience, the better your body's going to feel. And that's another fun way of thinking about it, right? Is you're not just stacking this stuff like like supplements or like drugs, right? What you're doing is you're trying to think like. What does my body want? What, what did my ancestors experience for hundreds of thousands of years at, that allowed me to evolve into this animal that's very, very well adapted at survival and thrival and thrival. That's not a word, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Adapted to thrive. And I think once you create the expectation that my body should thrive, what can I do to make my body thrive? that's where you start doing a three-day fast with a deep breathing session every day and a workout to top it all off and then have some bone broth, wait an hour or so, and then eat a really high protein, high fat diet. Like it starts making sense because you're like, well, what did my ancestors do? And I, I love thinking about it in that regard um, because we'll never have all the evidence we need to prove it in a modern society. Like our society is so upside down and we're so far away from our evolutionary origins that, you know, I don't believe that research and sort of evidence-based medicine will really ever get to a point where we're going to explain this stuff. It will always have to be looked at through the lens of evolutionary biology. Um, I think that's probably true about a lot of different humanistic modalities. Like, what I mean to say is, if you think about relationships and human sexuality, you if you look at evidence, you're, you're going to miss the, the mark, you have to look at what human beings are from an evolutionary standpoint to really understand what a hunter gatherer society look like and what our relationships look like before agriculture, right? That's the same. So, and then that, then you might understand why we have the feelings we have and why our sexuality is the way it is. And I, it's, so it sounds like really disconnected, but it's not. It, it, if you want to understand how you should eat, you have to go back before agriculture, before the written record of, you know, 
and and look at anthropology and archaeology and and what we know about evolution and biology to really start taking the evidence that makes sense and fits and ignoring things that are clearly biased by a modern essentially poisonous world right when you when you put it like that the, the simpler way to think about it is i think our bodies were designed to do two things just two things and that is to survive and to reproduce and that is it so if you if you then say okay well that's all we're aiming for is to survive and, and reproduce then the reproduce aspect of it is your body has to be functioning at the top level like you say it has to be thriving it has to have all the nutrients and all the vitamins and everything it possibly can otherwise you're not going to be able to support another human the women are not going to be able to give birth and then the survival part of it is adding on to that, making sure that you are able to survive, making sure like our ancestors, we could run away from something that was going to harm us or being able to hunt and being able to forage and being able to get climb trees and things like that. That's the survival I'm talking about. hundred percent. And what, what changed, uh, and, and I don't know, I, I always talk about this. There's this great book called Sapiens uh, uh, by Yuval Harari. Um, and he sort of reimagines evolutionary biology. Uh, for those of may have read some of uh, Richard Dawkins' books, he's sort of the the father, the grandfather of evolutionary biology. He wrote the Selfish Gene and really like started changing people's minds about how evolution changed our world. And so Yuval wrote this book and 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 does a great job showing you what life looked like before agriculture and what life looks like now. And I think it's, a, it's an important thing for people in our space to think about because that's where things really changed is agriculture. And, and we were living in hunter-gatherer societies that were based on exactly what you're saying, survival and reproduction. Because at that point, you have your small group of you know, less than 200, maybe way less than that, close family, friend, what, it's your unit, it's your tribe. And your goal was to grow that tribe and survive. And then we figured out agriculture. And while many people think that's a great thing and, oh, we built cities and we could, we didn't have to starve because we had, you know, we were able to grow animal or um, uh, raise animals and, and grow plants. Not so much. When you really look at it, the quality of life goes down. You start having classism where you have like servants and peasants, and then you have, you know, higher class. Um, you, you create modern diseases by overeating, um, you know, like diabetes and gout used to be a thing for kings. It was, it was the disease of kings because they were the ones that ate everything all day. And obesity was looked at as a mark of, of wealth, right? And that's where all this comes from. Everyone wants to be king. So now you have a whole world trying to live like a king and they all have the disease of kings. We're all diabetes, hypertension. And what's really scary is with modern medicine, people are living longer with those diseases. And so now you have these crazy high dementia rates. And I've read some recent stuff where people are like, oh, well, if you have an aging population, you're just going to have dementia. No, you're not. No, you're not. If you're healthy, and you're not exposed to toxins and you're taking care of yourself, your brain doesn't just start falling apart. 
Like that's not true. Just like you don't have to end up in a nursing home fat and incapacitated. That's not the natural progress or the natural development of a human. Like, no. So, you know, having the expectation of what it means to be a human, which is to live, thrive, crush it to the end and then drop dead. You know, that's how it goes. You know, um, if you make it, you know, through the infections and, and traumas, which is what Western medicine is good at. We are good at managing infectious disease and acute traumas, which is what used to kill such a huge percentage of our population before Western medicine was a thing. So kind of back circling back to the very beginning of what we talked about, there's a huge role for Western medicine in acute care. Um, but when it comes to prevention and, and extending life, not going to work, not going to inject anything. You've got to live a clean human lifestyle. Yeah, I think that's great. You touched on it with prevention. Prevention is far better than any cure there is. And you touched a bit on agriculture. So before agriculture, and obviously before we became better at Western medicine and things like that, how much do you know about what doctors used to do back then? Were they perhaps telling people to look at their nutrition back then? And are we about to come full circle, do you think? Yeah, I mean, so I'm a DO, a doctor of osteopathic medicine. And what I know about the history of osteopathy is that in the, I think, I guess it'd be the mid 1800s, something like that. There was a lot of sort of snake oil, right? People would be giving people arsenic. They, they, they didn't know what they were doing. They were just trying to help people. You know, barbers were surgeons. It was kind of this brutal world and people couldn't figure it out. And there was a group of doctors uh, in the early night late 1800s, early 1900s that were like, no, you don't have to give people poison. The body has, and, and these are literally the tenets of osteopathy is like the body has a, a tendency to go towards equilibrium and the body has natural healing properties. Sounds familiar, right? This is what we believe. And this is what the osteopaths believed at that time. And they specifically, and why they're osteopaths, is they really believe that by manipulating the bones and muscles and joints, you could sort of push the body to heal itself. Sounds, again, pretty familiar. Mm -hmm. You know, things like yoga and exercise, right? Um, so that became sort of another kind of physician in America. And they were vilified and minimized and those ideas were not accepted and then as the flexner reports came out and they started getting rid of doctors and weird because there was definitely like a lot of hocus pocus stuff going on they also got rid of anything that's not evidence-based and the problem with that and, and and so evidence was great because they started doing research like hey how are we going to save this soldier who came back from the war with a broken limb well if we clean it and we you know, we cut off the limb initially and eventually we had antibiotics. You, you can keep him from dying from these simple things, right? Well, if you just say that only evidence-based medicine is meaningful, then you throw out millions of years of common sense, right? So I think that's sort of what happened is that in an effort to clean up the healthcare wor you know, world in America, we really got rid of knowledge like like common sense knowledge that had accrued over 
again, millions of years over evolution, over, you know, hundreds of thousands of years of homo sapien existence. And, and that's where we really went wrong. And I think that now, like what you're suggesting is people like myself are going back and saying, uh-huh. So we did a really good job with one part of healthcare, sick care. We're good at sick care, but we, in the process of developing that system, we threw out common sense and history. And that's where nutrition comes in because we had figured out how to eat. There was no debate over plants or animals. It was eat what's available. You're an animal, you're gonna eat animals. You need fat to survive. We're gonna raise crops. They're gonna be an addition to our diet. We're not gonna cover them in all the chemicals. We're just gonna eat them. Um, but we've forgotten what that diet looks like and um, the corporatization of food, you know, the, the incentivization of a grain-based economy um, has, has, has essentially ruined our food system, monocropping, um, factory farming, and all of these things were done to save, to, to make it financially a good business. So I don't, I don't subscribe to the concept that there's some kind of like conspiracy that are, that's anti-meat uh, or, or conspiracy that's pro-grain or whatever. No, it, it's a function of history. Mistakes were made. We, you know, like the battle against sugar versus fat. Yeah, their mistakes were made. Money went one way or the other. Public opinion went one way or the other. And and we are where we're at, you know, and, and I, I try not to vilify anyone or any corporation or anything. It just is what it is. And, and what I hope is that people just open their mind that they're that the same way I can prescribe you a cholesterol drug and a diabetes drug, I can prescribe you a different nutrition program and that there is not just one nutrition program. There's many, 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 many ways to eat. And low carb is just a term that includes many, 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 many diet approaches. Sapien is our version of conceptualizing this, this, this landscape of, of dietary strategies and that the standard American or Western diet is based on a bunch of baloney, no pun intended. And, and we need to let go of that as our baseline. We need to get rid of this idea that breakfast is the most important meal of the day and that orange juice is good for you. And we need to start looking at nutrition the way we look at medicine, which is it is a it is medicine and it is a healing modality. And you need to create a custom approach. But that approach is anchored in basic principles. You do not eat shitty inflammatory foods. You do not eat industrial seed oils that were never meant for human consumption. And you do eat food that is highly nutrient dense, which tends to be animal food. So let's let go of the vilification of meat. And maybe one person only wants to eat fish. And maybe one person only wants to eat eggs. And maybe one person only wants to eat meat. Who cares? We don't need to battle each other. What we need to battle is the idea that we need to eat shitty processed foods every day. And that is like the biggest problem is people think that this oatmeal they're having every morning is good for them. And when you look at what is in that oatmeal and how it was grown, 
you realize quickly that this is not human food. Similarly, while you want to support animals and we all love animals, I don't think anyone that's listening to this podcast doesn't love animals. So this idea that that is promoted by the vegetarian and vegan community that people that eat meat don't love animals, that's insane. No, we love animals and we don't support factory farming and shitty, you know, food production, but but that goes that's true for plants and animals. And we need to vote with our money. Vote what's this term? Vote with our pocketbook <laughs> and promote regenerative agriculture. Promote uh, support local farming practices. Um, support farmers that raise their animals with love and respect that let them naturally graze and work together the chickens and the cows and everything works together to create a food system that that sequesters carbon into the soil healing our planet like it's simple but it requires all of us to understand how the food system works it is you cannot passively go through the grocery store, see, uh, oh, this is this is yellow and pretty. I'm going to put it in my body. Like, no, you have to be more thoughtful. You have to take the box, turn it over, look at the ingredients. You have to look at the label and see how they raise the animal. You have to reach out to your local farmers and go to that farmer's market and spend a few extra dollars. As Brian recently had a great post, you either pay the farmer now or you pay big pharma later. Yeah, and nothing could be more true than that. Yeah, that's great. That's uh, I had loads of things as you were talking then to come back on. I think right from the very start, right from uh, we tended to jump into one camp or another, like the, the early doctors was like, oh, no, it's evidence. So we have to jump into this evidence and then forgetting our past, forgetting the things that we used to do. And along the way, I think throughout the 50s, 60s, 70s, that's what people have tended to do. It's sugar or fat. It's this or that. And that tends to be what I don't want to do now and what you and Brian are doing really, really well with the, the sapien diet. It's not this or that at all in anything. And the whole way across nutrition and even in your lifestyle, you don't have to choose to do this or, or that. Why not do it all? Incorporate it all in like you brought you took it back to our ancestors that's what they did their whole lifestyle incorporated everything every single thing even some tribes today you see them and they're incorporating uh, vegetables and tubers and, and fruits and honey you don't have to eliminate it all it's not meat or veg you know meat or fruits or, or it's not um carbohydrates or fats or proteins you can have them all in your diet but you don't have to eat them like you just said there about processed foods they're all lumping it together if you're having high carbohydrate high processed carbohydrates and high fats in your diet then that's where the problems start you're having too much of every macro all lumping it all in together and it's becoming a problem not to mention all the processed seed oils that are becoming a a terrible infection into, well, I, I just call them a slow poison. I mean, you can elaborate on that if you like. No, I'm just, I, you know, as you describe it, it so, makes so much sense. It's so simple. You mentioned just like a handful of simple concepts of, of that, that, you know, and here's what I'm thinking. How the heck did they not mention any of this in 15 years of medical training? 
I am board certified by the American Board of Internal Medicine. I did all this studying to pass the Board of Internal Medicine exam. This is the highest level of training, the highest um, doctorate with board certification. And I had to learn about this shit in a book that I read after my engineer friend challenged my ideas. This is where we're failing. And I'm going to say something I think that's a bit not pleasant for people to hear. I worry that it's not just that we don't learn about nutrition. I, I do worry that they, they, the people that generate the education for doctors are effectively brainwashing us to ignore nutrition and lifestyle. I think through subtle, sort of subtle, like for example, when they taught me how to manage hypertension, they would keep reiterating. First thing you do, lifestyle modifications for three months. If that fails, you start drugs. But they never told me what the lifestyle modifications were. They would bring up things like the DASH diet, a low salt diet or the Mediterranean diet, but they wouldn't even elaborate on why those things were good, you know? They would present epidemiological evidence, which if you have half a brain, you don't need to be a scientist to realize that that is not a great piece of evidence. It's just not like you just need to look at it and think about what it is. And you're like, oh, that I can't really trust that. It's like a questionnaire. What the hell? What the heck? <laughs> like, you know, there's all these biases. It's simple. Like it's it's not again. So it's kind of like they're pushing you down the drugs route. You know, it's kind of like saying, oh, you can do that, but let's not worry about that. Let's worry about, let's get these drugs out there. Let's let's push them. And in America, you're not in America, right? Where are you at? We're in the UK. But, you're in the UK. But, but a lot of doctors only get sort of like four or five minutes with you. And the first thing you can tell as soon as you go into a doctor, the first thing they're thinking is, I'll write you a prescription. It's the first thing yeah. they're thinking. Yeah, and, and it's how we're trained. And so I do, again, is this a conspiracy or is this a... a you know, I recently watched the presentation by a good colleague who, who showed the top 10 um, uh, donors to public medical schools in America, and they were all food companies, but not like natural food companies. <laughs> we're talking about Kellogg's and you know what I'm saying? So yeah. is, that a it's, is that a conspiracy? I mean, it's public knowledge. You can go and look this up. So it's not really a conspiracy, right? It's just that We've created a system where big pharma and big food are working together to not just convince patients that this is how to live, but doctors that this is how to treat people. And this is why we're so stuck is you're taking a population of some of the most highly educated and talented people, your physicians, and you're again, for lack of a better word, brainwashing them to believe that there is no lifestyle intervention, that it's too hard to get someone to change how they eat. You know, when all this pandemic started, the first thing I, I was talking with some colleagues from the hospital, and the first thing as I said is, look, guys, this is pretty obvious that obesity and hyperinsulinemia diabetes is one of the main risk factors for people to get really sick. If today, and this was like in March or April, if today we all start aggressively promoting a public health campaign for a low carbohydrate diet and to 
treat obesity. We would save countless lives from death. I know that, or at least from terrible hospitalizations. And what they told me was, we love you, Gary. You're so crazy. Like, uh, that's hard. How I can't teach my patients to leave the hospital and start eating better. I can't do that. That's impossible. How do you change someone's behavior? Well, they very quickly were able to force or coerce or get everyone to wear masks. I think that's a pretty dramatic lifestyle change. And they're like, well, that's easy. You just strap a mask on. I'm like, easy. You're literally changing the fabric of our society. You can't see people's facial expressions. You can't. So that's an easy lifestyle intervention, but not eating crappy food and eating less frequently is impossible. And how can we possibly do that? It's been nine months. We could have done it. We could have done it. So, you know, I didn't want to bring up too much about this whole COVID thing, but it's just, it's this idea that certain lifestyle interventions that go against the big pharma, big food paradigm are impossible to do, but everything else, stay home, wear a mask, change your whole life. No problem. And, and our governments can demand it from us, but why isn't our government demanding we eat less processed food, less fast food? Well, we know why, but I'm just saying like, that's where, that's where the money is. Like that's where the healing is. That's, that's what we're up against, which is why we're on a podcast and the media will never not at least not in the short term, really support what we're talking about. Cause, cause we really are standing up against the big boys, the big money players. I mean, it's, it's nice to see that we are chipping away at it. We are chipping away at it because things are happening every day here in the UK. We've now got junk food adverts banned for children online, heard which that. is great. Wow. You know, brilliant. And, and we've got cardiologists working um, in the parliament as well to try and turn their heads but how do we do it, Gary? How do we get our loved ones, our close friends, and how do we get this information out into the, the mainstream as much as possible? Is it a case of just starting with your next door neighbor? Yeah, it's a grassroots effort. It's one person at a time. Um, I had a patient in yesterday, came in with all the symptoms of like basically malnutrition. He'd been cutting all animal foods out in three and a half years of a strict vegetarian diet and his gut lining was destroyed and he had no energy and he was protein deficient. And I spent 40 minutes with him and his girl talking about this. He, he, he was done. He was done with it. He's going to get some fish. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I don't know, like one patient at a time, one person at a time. I'll tell you my approach. My approach is talking with folks like you to build reps, to get nice, good quotes, to, to build my language skills, to build my ability to communicate effectively and quickly. And I'm going to keep pushing to try to get some media attention. I think it, I think that eventually someone will listen. I've, I do, you know, there's doctors out there, you know, the functional medicine movement, which I'm not quite functional medicine. Cause I think they're a little too obsessed with plants in an unhealthy way, but Hey, there, you know, there's a lot of people real that are on TV promoting those ideas. Um, I think with functional medicine, it, it does line up with the plant-based sort of agenda. So I kind of see where, but, but those guys, when you really listen to those recommendations, um, it's much closer to what we're talking about. Right. So I think, I think the opportunities are there. Um, you know, for me and Brian, we have a dream, you know, I think we have these two distinct voices, uh, you know, we have this this 
I think, a unique approach. And I, we, we hope to keep growing this thing to where we get an opportunity to present our argument to a bigger audience, to get a bigger platform. And uh, maybe the movie will, will really help us with that. Um, you know, again, we have our program, I have my clinic, you just got to chip away these, your podcast is going to chip away. And I just think that at least, even if it doesn't work, at least we know we're doing like something good for people, you know, even if it is just a few hundred or thousand or whatever people like you're helping them live a longer, better life. And that's really what the goal of medicine is anyway. And that's so, great. And, and I think like, obviously we're also leading by example, you know, look at us, just look at us, the whole, yeah, the whole yeah. fraternity of it, you know, it's brilliant. We're, we're making sure that we're backing up what we're saying by having, you know, outstanding bodies, some of us, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and not looking at particular, maybe some vegans saying, oh, a vegan's the way to go. And then you look at them and you think, is it really? You know, it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, you know, leading by example is what I'm, what I'm trying to say. And that's been absolutely brilliant talking to you, Gary. I'm going to have Thank to uh, stop it there, but let's tell everybody where they can find you and follow you and, and look after. And also good luck with the movie, by the way. I'm really, I'm really waiting for that. I think everybody is waiting for that, but yeah, let's tell everybody where they can find you. Yeah. So you can follow me. I'm, I'm most active on Instagram, uh, DR Gary evolve. Um, uh, our company at sapien.health again, Instagram, you could check out everything we're up to at sapien.org. We have our programs there. We have sort of an overview of our diet. Um, we have the sapien tribe, which is just a community. We do some private zoom calls with the community. We have some kind of, um, a, a bonus episodes that we offer for like peak human and for sapien podcast. The second season of the sapien podcast is about to launch. We're super excited. The first season was sort of this little project we did in my office. It got a lot of love. And so we've kind of expanded into our studio and, and we've got some great guests. Um, but really definitely also support Brian. I, you know, he's been such an inspiration. So I want to mention him at food.lies. That guy puts out amazing content every day. Um, he's, he's, dri he's driving the production of this movie and... Um, and for somebody Say who's hi to super me, guys. yeah, somebody who's super busy, like Brian and yourself, both super busy, and you will answer and uh, comment on things yes. and, and, and answer questions anybody's got. So don't be scared to to be in touch. Basically, that's uh, you know how I found you, and it was great of you to come on the podcast. And I thank you very much, Matthew. It's such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, Gary. Well, that was just great. I really enjoyed talking to Gary. He's on the exact same lines as me. He's promoting his Sapien Nutrition with business partner Brian and Brian, who we had on the show previously. Both of them speak the exact same language as we do, and that is nutrient-dense food. Get rid of all the processed rubbish and just focus on nutrient-dense food. That's basically it. You don't have to worry if it's all meat, all veg, a bit of meat, a bit of veg, you know, a bit of fruit, whatever. Just focus on those nutrients and focus on the bioavailability. Make sure you're getting what you need, what your body wants to thrive from your food. But it's great these guys are coming onto the podcast and sharing their experiences with us. 
like I say, I've got a lot more guests lined up and we're going to look a bit more in depth into things like fasting, into organ meats, into autophagy and insulin and lots of things like that. So stay tuned for a more in-depth look at particular subjects. However, next week will be the long-awaited questions episode and I thank you very much for sending in all of your questions and all of your subjects that you wanted to talk about. I've got quite a few to get through so hopefully I can do a condensed answer to your questions next week. So if you sent in a question, send in a subject then stay tuned for your answer. And don't forget to leave us a rating and a review on your favourite podcast platform. It helps others find the podcast and it helps to be able to get others to listen to it as well. We need to help out as many people as possible. <laughs> so thank you very much again for listening. If you want to find out a bit more information, then visit our website, www.humannutritionlifestyle.com. We're on social media. We've got the Facebook group and the Instagram profile at Human Nutrition Lifestyle. So give us a follow. But until then, make sure you live your best life. Take very good care of yourself. And I shall see you next time. Thank you.